You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about relationship tips for every type with Suzanne Stabile. Guys, you know how excited I was to have Suzanne as a guest. I love her work. I know you do too. And she's taught all of us so much about the Enneagram. And in fact, if you're new to Suzanne's teaching, you are in for an extra special treat because her calming voice and her amazing tips for every type are seasoned with over 25 years of experience. And she's even known as the Enneagram godmother. So it's such a pleasure and a joy to talk to her. And I know you're going to gain a lot of tips, not just for you and your spouse's or partner's types, but also just if you're in that spot where your partner doesn't want to share things, doesn't want to talk Enneagram with you, she's got loads of information for you today as well. So I normally do a lot of banter about how we're doing with our literature and psychology and marriage stuff. And I will briefly say, I hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day. We are still in the thick of it with all of our readings and books and all these crazy pivots I know we're doing and that you all are doing this year because of our crazy times with a full year of COVID times. Uh, BC is long ago now. We don't remember what we did for Valentine's Days before that. I do remember the, the dances we put on with my counseling center, but we have so many great things that have come out of this space as well, not the least of which is being able to slow down in our marriages a bit and learn. So let's just go right into our guest episode today. Today, I know you're going to be so pleased with it. I know you're going to be enthralled with me at the great tips we get from Suzanne. Suzanne, I am so honored and happy to have you here today at the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. This is really a dream come true. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited anytime I get to talk about Joe. So that gets mm. covered in Enneagram and Marriage. And I think the Enneagram is so helpful in marriage challenges. So I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Mm, Well, yeah, we just, we know you as the godmother of the Enneagram with your beautiful books. Yours was the first I ran to when I really gave attention to the Enneagram in my marriage counseling and coaching work. And it's also the place where I found the most information about relationships. So make sure you guys not only check out her amazing bestseller, The Road Back to You that she co-authored, but also her amazing The Path Between Us. And that's an individually authored book. So you guys are in for a treat if you haven't read that yet. But you also have another book up and coming as well, right, Suzanne? I do. Looks like it'll be late. It'll be released late October or early November. Oh, wow. And what's the topic to that book? It's a little bit deeper book. It has to do with the journey that we're all on toward uh, wholeness and transformation. And I address stress a lot and Mm. what happens when you make that intuitive move to your stress number. And then I talk about stances. I don't know. Um, A lot of people aren't familiar with Enneagram stances, but Mm -hmm. there's a, I always say that's where the magic is in the Enneagram. So um, lot, the second half of the book is all about that. I'm really excited about it. And uh, we're just working on the final edits right now. And then I'll be looking forward to getting to talk about it when it comes out. And that's a good time for us. We feel like we'll be on the road and teaching Mm -hmm. again then. So all good. 
Oh my goodness. How amazing that we can look forward to you back on the road and peopling. I'm sure you're so excited as a two, right? It's been very challenging. (sighs) And I think it is for everybody for different Mm -hmm. reasons. And I think we've all learned different lessons. And I've said to Joe a number of times, I wonder what it's like to be quarantined with somebody that you're married to who is different than you, who Mm -hmm. you love very much, Mm -hmm. but you don't have any tools to use to Mm -hmm. work through all the things that happen when you're together 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Lots of people Mm -hmm. have never spent that kind of time together who are married Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. tricky. It's very tricky. It's been very tricky for us too in that way because I go to that five space to focus and my husband's a one wing, too social. So it's been so challenging. And some of our episodes we've covered have been on just being very real about how raw we all are this year. And it's it's been a lot of growth and pivoting. But in my marriage work, I've also seen a lot of couples really struggling, as you said. So I'm super happy you guys are sharing too on the road later this year, how you got through that, because that's not been easy. You're right. It has, it, it was not easy for me to write during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Joe and I have been together 35 years. So, wow. um, I, I, and we're 70 and 73. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I'm very thankful for this time. Mm -hmm. he is on staff at a very large church and he has a big job and uh, I do too. And um, I think, I think this time can be seen as a gift for people who have financial security. And Mm -hmm. as I said before, who have some tools Mm -hmm. to work with when they find themselves in trouble. I I often say, I, I think, um, everybody would have a better chance at doing life in a healthier, more holistic way if they just had an opportunity to gather some tools to work with. And Mm -hmm. if they had a third person like you Mm -hmm. to step in uh, when they can't hear each other and Mm -hmm. when they get in trouble and can't work it out. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a, I always say everybody needs a spiritual director and everybody needs a therapist. Mm -hmm. And Amen. I think that's made all the difference in mm. our marriage. And we're deeply in love with one another. And I'm, I'm just crazy about him. It's a little tiring, I think, for him. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. That's so beautiful. This is the two nine pairing, right? Yep. Oh, my goodness. I call that pairing lovely hospitality just because you're so adorable and you guys really do shine in a different way than other pairings because of that. I've heard you talk on your podcast about him merging and you trying to put his needs first and how you guys work that out is so beautiful, but it's not always easy. But I love that you have each other because not everybody has that. That's correct. My oldest daughter's also married to a nine. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that we have had a little covenant with each other for the last, I don't know, maybe eight years is mm-hmm. that we'll, we'll help each other in not speaking for our nines. Joe's an introvert. Mm-hmm. And because he's in ministry, people don't pick that up, but mm-hmm. he is an introvert and her husband, Billy's an introvert. Wow. 
Oh, wow. And we uh, noticed, she's an eight, we noticed that we were mm. speaking for them and telling them what to say when we were with other people socially and encouraging them to tell stories they might not want to tell or do things they might not want to do. And so we started calling each other on that and I mm. and, and asking for help with that. And I think those kinds of prompts from people you trust mm-hmm. who you spend time with can also be really helpful in terms mm-hmm. of saying, you know, I, or I'll look across the room at a family party when I'm telling Joe that I want him to do something and I'll look across the room and Joe will be shaking her head. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's helpful. I, I think we tend to not be honest enough with other people mm-hmm. to benefit from their experience and their wisdom as we're trying to walk through our own lives. And that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really is because you need not only the spiritual director and the counselor, like you said in your life, but you need authentic relationships with peers who are in the journey space with you walking and seeing you at family parties. And I love that you and your daughter have that. That's really beautiful. And I hope you guys listening are hearing that, that these people in your life are these totems for you to bear witness to your journey and your growth and to encourage you. What else do you feel like people can do when they're at the stages of just wanting to work on their marriage during and after pandemic and just repair to just invite the basic Enneagram growth tools to their, to their family, to their marriage? Well, one of the first things I would suggest is that they work on their own number and not work on their spouse mm-hmm. or their partner. Mm-hmm. That's a, I have a soft rule when I'm teaching on the road that if somebody comes up to me and wants to ask me a question about their wife or their husband or their somebody else, mm-hmm. then often I say, well, is that person here? And if they're not, then mm-hmm. I don't answer the question. Wow. Because it's not, that's not, the uh, the number one purpose of the Enneagram, number one, mm-hmm. is for you to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And when people show up at a workshop to work on somebody else, mm-hmm. that's just not, that's not where this all should go. So mm-hmm. that's the number one thing. The second thing is the goal is to be healthy. And that's, uh, you get healthier and then you fall and then you get healthier and then you fall. So anytime we're talking about Enneagram wisdom, we're talking about people either being in healthy space, average space, unhealthy space, Mm -hmm. excess in their number Mm -hmm. or pathological space. And of course, this is not the place to talk about pathology. Mm -hmm. And I do think a lot of people have been in excess in their number in trying to cope with the liminality of the pandemic. And that's when you get in trouble. That's where relationships get in a lot of trouble. That's where people who are struggling with dependence on substances get in trouble. That excess in your number is a place to watch for. And so if, um, if you want your marriage to be healthy, then start with being healthy, as healthy as you can be. Mm-hmm. and set the table for and make space for and encourage your partner or your spouse or uh, your significant other to be as healthy as they can be. And that solves at least half of the problems. Mm. 
Wow, that's huge. And as a family systems background therapist, I feel that with you so strongly that when you make the systemic changes in the family, the other person really has to shift in some direction, but it's not a forced shift, right? It's not. And, you know, I'm sure you get this all the time. I hear from people a lot. I love the Enneagram, but my wife doesn't want to even read about it. Right. I love the Enneagram, but my husband won't even hear me telling things about it. So mm-hmm. what do we do? Mm-hmm. And that takes me right back to you work on yourself. And if mm-hmm. you do that, then ultimately people will appreciate the apparent transformative change in you and ask you about it. And that's when you get to talk about what you're doing. The other thing I would suggest is Mm. when you want somebody else to get interested in the Enneagram and there's pushback there, Mm -hmm. then number one, never tell anybody what their number is. They have to figure that out for themselves Mm -hmm. because your Enneagram number is determined by motivation and not by behavior. Mm-hmm. So generally when we're assigning numbers to people, which we should not do, mm-hmm. and everybody does, all, all, all in the same sentence, we should not do that. Everybody does that. I feel very strongly about it. And I preach about don't do it. And I do it too. Mm-hmm. So there's that full circle. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to. Yes. So if you do that, then you need to hold it very loosely. Right. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, if you want somebody to learn the Enneagram, then give them the path between us or the road back to you mm-hmm. or a coupon to download the MP3 on lifeinthetrainingministry.com mm-hmm. because all of those things um, have information about all nine numbers. But you don't say, I think you're a nine, read nines. Mm-hmm. You say, I'm a four. I'm a four and I would appreciate it if you would just read about me and then give me the book right back. I don't need you to read the other numbers, but this, this uh, author has ways of saying things about me mm-hmm. that I want you to hear. Oh, yes. Right. And mm-hmm. of course I'm a two, not a four, but mm-hmm. what I'm saying is uh, <laughs> if you, if you hand people, a synopsis of how you see the world and how you behave in the world Mm -hmm. and they know you well, then they automatically respect the work. Mm. And then it's their own curiosity that drives them to want to learn about themselves. Yes, this is absolutely on point. And I don't know if that was your journey, but that was definitely my journey in marriage. So I can concur you guys, this is the godmother of the Enneagram. Of course she's right, but boy, do I feel what you're saying as the true path between us? Yeah. Joe and I did not have that struggle. Um, Mm. but, but a lot of people do a Mm. lot, just a lot of people do. And I kind of get it. And there are certain numbers when you push them to do something, then they're not going to do it. Right. My husband was as a one very instinctual and he pushed the computer away when he got his score back initially. And 
you know, as a therapist, I knew enough to leave it there. And then he slowly reapproached after reading the checklist that you guys have in the road back to you. And he said, every single one of these type one checklists is me. After he heard me start divulging some of my seven issues and he saw those first, of course, we know this is part of the instinctual journey anyway, but he was able to say, maybe my own inner critic can calm down. This is healthy, but you have to want it. And that journey took several years. But I love that you guys didn't have that, that you guys didn't have to do that process. So that's helpful for people to hear that not everyone will have to do that. So don't judge your friends or your neighbors or your family if their marriage isn't as excited about the Enneagram, at least not yet. Right. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I would feel like I wasn't being true to myself if I didn't say I really don't like the test. Mm, that's huge. Yeah. Tell us more. Well, I don't like it because some things don't have a shortcut and Mm -hmm. hearing about yourself and being able to take it in Mm -hmm. is a, a path that's more, that proves to be more accurate. I I don't know, hundreds for sure, hundreds, maybe thousands, but hundreds of people have told me that they took the test and it didn't work and it was it mm-hmm. and then they read the road or the path and then they they found themselves and it wasn't what the test said they were wow and i i think it's because the test primarily measures behavior and not motivation mm-hmm. so um yeah i'm a you know the enneagram is very old and nothing was really published about it for consumption mm-hmm. uh, by all of us until the mid 1970s. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, it was always taught as an oral tradition. Mm-hmm. And most people uh, who knew the Enneagram would only teach you your number because the theory was you don't need to know anybody else's number. This is for you to work on you. Mm-hmm. Now that there are all these books published, which by the way, that body of Enneagram books has increased exponentially in the last 10 years. Wow. For a while, I could say that I had read everything that had been published, Mm. but that's not true anymore. And I think I could have read everything. I didn't want to, but that, but that's just not true anymore. So there's, there's a reason to kind of hear it taught orally Mm. and, When I teach, I try to say things two or three ways, but it's also the difference in 15 minutes and eight hours. So Mm. it's what you want to invest, I suppose. Mm. And whether or not you have access to somebody who teaches it orally and um, yeah. Well, that's where we're so blessed to have your podcast, The Enneagram Journey, where I learned a lot before I started my podcast. And that is like you said, a very different journey and gives people permission and freedom to be able to get to know themselves without a test. Just, oh yeah, I looked at that really quick. It's right. And I think that's also a mistake people make is taking it and just buying right into it. Yep. Um, and and even just, I got my spouse's test back. I looked over their shoulder. I've got the cheat sheet. And now I have a lot of husbands, especially five husbands 
in sessions saying, stop calling me this number uh, because it's hard for our marriage to work if I'm just reduced here to something I don't even understand. So that's really important that, like you said, it can happen to any of us, but we just all have to watch for that. And I think you're right. That's probably the biggest piece is for people to listen and have that oral tradition continue in their own lives. And that MP3 and your podcasts are great for that, as well as to let things sink in and marinate for a while so that they can really see, is this even accurate, right? Yeah, I think so. And I, I also would say that I learn a lot on my podcast. Hmm. You know, I don't, I, I don't know nuances of all these numbers. The, I think the reason that I'm pretty good at what I do is because I've learned so much from being in rooms with people who are learning the Enneagram mm-hmm. and from, uh, I had an apprentice program for years and now uh, we have a cohort program and I, I learn a lot from other people mm-hmm. and then I'm able to use that. I haven't run out of Enneagram wisdom to learn. And I've been doing this for a very long time. So I, I if it has a, an end where there's nothing else to learn, I don't know where it is. Mm. And isn't that what we want for our relationships and personal yes. growth? When you get to that dead end feeling in a marriage, which we all do in that middle marriage, after the early sparks are now turning into more of a commitment phase, you really need places to grow and to move so that you can continue to say there's hope. There's always hope, even when we have these rocky patches. So how encouraged am I to hear that you're still growing and learning, even in a good and healthy marriage, there's always something to learn. Yeah, always. And I I would also say that I, I think recognizing uh, the movement on the Enneagram is really important Mm -hmm. because you can say things about moving on the Enneagram that it's very difficult to say about moving in life, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I think that's helpful. And I also think for some reason, I think the Enneagram is kind of mystical, actually. And I think mm-hmm. part of that is shows itself in the fact that you can say something to other people using a number mm-hmm. that you can't say using their name. Yes. So I understand what your five clients were saying about stop doing that. On the other hand, there's two sides to everything. And the other side of that is it it depersonalizes things to a point where you can say hard things. And it's like, it's about fiveness, which is Mm -hmm. kind of over here Mm -hmm. instead of feeling like it's about me, Mm -hmm. because actually Mm -hmm. it's not about the essence of who you are. Right. It's about your personality anyway. Mm -hmm. And so underneath whatever behavior there is, there's a, a good soul, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. who is trying to figure out how to do life. And it's mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really good point that some people are so blessed by you really reaching with that. It gives them permission to look a little more objectively at themselves and say, it's not just me, but we all are trying to be healthier. And when you can come at 
a spouse or a person you're with to, to help them to see that you love them on their journey, no matter how they're labeled, there's a disarming process. So I love that. And I actually find that fives, once you get to that place, they do some amazing work in counseling or coaching because they've, you probably seen that too, that they actually do some of their best work when they're in their learning comfort zone. They do. And I think the big struggle for fives is figuring out their place in the world. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram answers that, that we all have place. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Mm, I think fives are uncomfortable out in the world because they don't know what their place is. And that keeps, they have to reevaluate that over and over and over, but they don't understand that there are thousands of other fives who are doing the same thing. Mm. One of the things you said earlier about ones reminded me that I wanted to be sure and say in a relationship with a one, there are three voices in the couple, not two because the voice of the critic is always there and always has a place and it's a big thing. It's a big thing, that critic. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that has to be countered in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to be siloed. So in a relationship with a one if a one is saying I'm terrible, then an appropriate response is who told you that? Mm. Where, where did you get that? Cause you're not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it helps if one's name their critic mm-hmm. uh, and it needs to be a name they're going to stick with. You can't just change it every time, but if they name their critic, then they have, Uh, somebody to talk back to and say, stop saying that it's not true or Mm. you need to stand down or this conversation doesn't include you. You know, if you don't address the critic, then you're always pretending that it's not there. And it is. Mm. Mm. Wow. I never really knew that one. And I like how you're naming it, how you're questioning that critic. And then you're adding in an encourager piece that that's probably really helpful for ones to hear and spouses of ones, including me. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think there's a tendency to think that the critic is going to go away and that's never going to happen. Mm. You know, one of the good things to, to think about um, in relationships is you can't change how you see. All you can do is change what you do with how you see. Mm. So there's not enough exercises in the world for the critic to permanently stand down. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. And I don't want to just placate it. Sometimes you hear that and I know it's well-meant and I will go that route sometimes like a little self-deprecating, but it's like at the same time, that's not the only tactic that gets old after a while. You don't want to keep saying I can kind of joke with you in that way. You want to be able to address it. Yep. And for the one who has to live with the critic, there's nothing humorous about that Mm. because the critic is never complimentary. It's Mm. always a criticism. Always. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm there with my one and I'm the same way with my sexual four brother, I have to be careful that I don't ride into the victim or the, the uh, let's just consider the grass is greener somewhere else 
And so we can just have misery loves company. You know, there has to be an understanding that's different from that. And I hear you saying, don't just go to that joyful, happy space, but you also don't have to ride into derision together all the time. Right. That's right. One of the things that I do, uh, I used to do a lot of one-on-one Enneagram work. And um, one of the things I do is suggest that, and I'm not a therapist, so I, I wasn't the person for them to do that with, but mm-hmm. I would suggest that people find somebody they really trust mm-hmm. and ask them for about an hour and a half of their time uninterrupted at some point. Mm-hmm. And then I encourage them to tell their story with them as the victim mm-hmm. and take a little break and then tell their story immediately following that with them as the victor because we're both in the same story. Wow. Yes. And for like for fours, that's a very good practice because it gives them a place to stand. Mm. It helps couples uh, figure out that they're not actually probably being picked on or, that the relationship is probably not as one-sided as they feel like it is in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that, that occurs that that's just helped by that practice. Wow. I love that. Do you mind if I ask you about some of the other types too? Do we have time for that today? Sure. Absolutely. We have time. Okay, wonderful. We've gotten to hear some about ones, especially and a bit about fives. But since we already did ones, maybe we can talk to two a little bit. Okay, I can do that all day. Awesome. (laughs) I would say this. The best gift I have to offer for any relationship is Enneagram stance work. Mm -hmm. And we don't have time for me to talk about that, but I have a new book coming out that Mm -hmm. teaches it through and through. Yes. I was just going to say, but we're (laughs) going to get it soon and you have podcast episodes. So we're going to get really deep with you in your new book. So good. Yeah, that's great. But, but the reality is I tend to do life as a two, all twos tend to do life with feeling and doing and no thinking. Mm -hmm. So a big relationship problem for twos is that they want to have too many of them. They want to have more than they can um, manage Mm -hmm. or participate in without feeling like they haven't done a good job. And it's not okay if you're a two for you to find your security in having relationships with more people than you can honor. Wow. So one of the things that happens in our marriage is that we get into trouble if I'm only using feeling and doing Mm -hmm. and I'm not thinking. So here are a couple Mm -hmm. of examples. Mm -hmm. I don't do this anymore, but it's in part because I'm old, (laughs) but I don't uh, volunteer for everything anymore. I hold myself back when I want to help with some things until I've discerned well, whether or not it's mine to do. So as a two, Mm -hmm. the questions I ask myself are, why am I approaching this other person? What, if anything, do I expect to get in return? Mm 
-hmm. And does the other person want my help? Mm -hmm. And those three questions keep me from being over-involved in other people's lives so that it takes away time from my marriage and my family. Because every yes that I say somewhere else means I have to say no somewhere. Mm, wow. And it also applies in my family and in my closest circle. Mm. So the people that we work with the most, Joe and I, are Laura, who's a three, and our son, Joel, who's a seven. So that's two aggressive numbers. Mm-hmm. They really have been patient with me mm. in learning when to be helpful to them Mm -hmm. and when not to, and I don't do it perfectly. Mm. They don't need a lot from me. And I need to honor that. And that's a hard read. Mm. And in families and in marriages, your spouse may not need a lot from you if you're a two. Mm -hmm. So don't over-involve yourself in their lives unless you're invited to do that. Mm. Wow, is that important for twos to hear? But and it's not rejection of any kind. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're capable of handling their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they feel personally obligated to give back even if they can't. And it kind of starts this unhealthy cycle if there's no freedom to say that I love you, but I don't need this particular thing and I can't give it back because I'm giving in this other area. And that's so freeing for my two clients to hear sometimes too, is just, you know, not everybody works the same as you. So don't, you don't have to take that on as a rejection. Right. The other thing for twos that I would say is twos can only process verbally. Mm. So they don't arrive at a decision that's important unless they've talked it through usually three or four times. Oh, and that's very tedious for other people to be patient with that. Okay. So I have always talked to imaginary people in the car when I'm driving to try to work through things. And for me, I can do it in the car, but I can't do it journaling. I can't do it looking in the mirror, Hmm. but I can have an imaginary person in the car. And I've done that for years, way before you could be talking in your car and people would think that was normal. (laughs) Nobody else in the car. So there's, that's a thing. Oh, that's Um, huge. For threes. I would um, tiptoe into the uh, world of triads and stances to say that they take in information with feelings, Mm -hmm. but then they set feelings aside and figure out what that information means with thinking and doing. Wow. And that is a setup in relationships because threes take in information with feelings, then feeling types and withdrawing types think that the three is gonna stay emotionally connected. Mm -hmm. And that's not likely. I just heard that last night from somebody whose first impression was so warm and welcoming from a three and that shifted later. So that's interesting. And that's because they, you know, everybody needs to do stance work, but that's because Mm -hmm. they're feeling dominant and feeling repressed. Mm -hmm. So that means they take in information with feelings, but they don't use feelings to make, to move forward with that, Mm -hmm. which is great for me. 
working with the three all the time Mm. because we both take in information with feelings, Mm -hmm. but then she's not stuck there. And she helps me not be stuck there. I love that. Laura does that for you. Yeah. That and so many things, but she does that. I also think that, you know, if I'm at an event where the speakers are talking about recovery, if it's a two day event, then there will be opportunities for people to go to a meeting Mm -hmm. and uh, they at big conferences have opportunities for people to go to a meeting with people who have the same struggle that they do or the same addiction that they do. Mm -hmm. And when I have had that experience in the past and I go to the room where the workaholics are meeting, Mm -hmm. 90 to 95% of them are threes on the Enneagram. Oh, wow. And so threes in marriage have to be very careful that they're participating in their marriage, not working on their marriage. It, it can't be something that you check off mm-hmm. whatever you are needing to do to let your spouse or your partner know how much you love them can't be on your to-do list. It has to be siloed in a different part of the relationship. Wow. Other, because people know when you're just checking it off, like mm-hmm. you, people can read that. So that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And here's a, here's a thing for threes. This might be my best one liner. If you want to work on yourself and you want to be healthier, then figure out where you're, what, it, what's the same about you, no matter who you're with. Ooh, I like that. If you're at home or at church or at a family gathering or with friends or uh, at a high school reunion, like list them all. Mm. And then what you want to know is if you want to pull out as a three, the things that are same about you, no matter what. And then that becomes the baseline that you work for from Mm -hmm. in terms of growing and heading toward uh, transformation. Ooh, getting to know yourself because they just don't often know themselves with all that working and, and giving, and maybe not always an open heart, but definitely a huge heart, right? Yes. You know, threes actually are called by some Enneagram teachers, the chameleon. Mm-hmm. And it's because they can adapt better than any other number, but their adapting is based on trying to be what you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And when you try to do that for every relationship and every group that you're a part of, then you end up with many selves mm-hmm. and you got to have a way to figure out which one is you. And you have to be careful about over adapting in marriage because you can't maintain it unless it's part of that bottom line of, the way that you are, no matter who you're with. Mm-hmm. And even if you're trying really hard, you just can't. Mm. Yes. And is that similar to the work of the nine in that way of trying to figure out who you really are? Well, it's significantly different in that adapting and merging are very different. Mm. Okay. And nines merge. Adapting is changing your self 
And merging is giving up what you want to do for the sake of peace. Okay. I see. They do a very different thing, but then sometimes neither of them know who they are. That's true. I think it's much easier for nines to know who they are than threes. Oh, okay. Because they don't adapt. They don't change. They stay the same. Their behavior is what's involved. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh my goodness. That's so helpful. Okay. Well, and I'll ask you a couple more questions about that at nine, but what about fours? I see them least for marriage work. I've obviously had some, but it's my least number that I see in marriage work, even though I have family members that are fours. Hmm. That's a surprise to me. Yeah, me too. Hmm. Well, I just kind of wonder if uh, people don't, there, first of all, there are fewer fours than any other number. Hmm. Okay. So that could be part of it, but, mm-hmm. but fours are the most complex number. Mm. And I think people uh, start working to understand them when they're very young. And my guess would be that fours have been pushed to go to therapy and that it's reactive not to, mm. or that people have said, you need to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And the thing is, I have met a lot of fours or even worked with some in individual work. Yep. And maybe they've been encouraged to do that work. Yeah. You need to go, but I don't probably. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that, well, there's a lot I could say about fours, but I'll just maybe I'll pull two or three things. One is uh, don't ask them to be the same all the time. They can't do that. Mm. They can't be in the same emotional space all the time. Mm-hmm. They can't do that. Hmm. don't ask them to be more like no, more normal, m- more like other people. Don't ask questions like, why can't we be like other couples? Why? Hmm. The one consistent thing that fours hold on to is their authenticity. And fours are as concerned as twos and threes about image. Uh, their concern has to do with they don't want their image to be uh, traditional or average or they want it to be a unique expression of who they uniquely are. And that authenticity, when questioned, it feels like rejection for fours. I see. So that's very painful if you say, why can't we be like others or why aren't you more like this? Yeah. Yeah. And the four internally is saying, why, why would we want to be like them? Hmm. And that's great for the other partner in the couple to be able to think about that with them. It can be. Fours also are very insistent on being heard. But what's behind that is that what they long for in every setting is to be seen and heard and maybe understood. Mm, okay. It takes time for those three things to happen. And in our culture, when we are not in liminal space, mm-hmm. time is something that we don't offer much of to relationships. Yes. And especially, I think, our fours long for time. Yep. And it's because they know they're complex mm-hmm. and they know you're not going to get them right away. Oh, that's so helpful to know. Even for my brother and my child, when I give them a quick answer, they're looking for more. There's a longing. There's a sigh that goes with that if it's too quick. Yep. 
Mm. For fives, we talked about fives, but here's the one thing I would add that maybe is the most important thing. And that is looking at the whole of the Enneagram, eights have the most energy of any number. Nines have the least energy of any number, but fives have a measured amount of energy. Mm. And they have the same amount of energy every day. And it's like manna, you don't get to save up for the (laughs) next day. Mm -hmm. So every encounter with a five, every conversation, every handshake, the exchange to order coffee in the drive-thru at Starbucks, and then the exchange to pay for that costs them energy. Mm -hmm. And they intuitively live in a way that they want to get home where they feel safe because they generally don't feel comfortable in the world. They want to get home where they feel safe before the energy runs out. Mm-hmm. because the vulnerability of a total lack of energy is kind of excruciating. Mm. Yes. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I would offer for fives is that in marriage, fives need time when they get home from their work to not be with people. So you may be deeply in love with a five and want to be with them more than anything, Mm-hmm. But when they get home, they've already been with people all day and they need a little bit of space. What's on the five side of the line to do is they have to say, I'm going to go out back and uh, just sit for a little bit. And I'm going to read one chapter in this book and I'll be back in at 630. Mm, yeah, but it's on them back. to put an ending time on how much space they get when they come home from being out in the world. And then they have to honor it. Mm, So give them the amount of time. It might be 15 minutes, five minutes, it might be an hour, but try to let them decide. But also it's on them that it can't be forever. That's right. Mm. They decide it has to be reasonable and they have to honor it. Mm -hmm. Mm. That is priceless information for spouses of five and, and especially I think the two five match, which I see a lot again and again and again. So hearing that though, for twos listening, I know makes them feel better because they realize it's not anything I did. This is just part of their essence. Yeah. Then the next hurdle with a two five is, well, how come you spend all your time with them and you don't have anything left for me? Yes. So it's just a matter of every morning when they wake up, they have a certain amount of energy and everything takes it mm-hmm. until they get home and they get home on maybe one day with more energy than on another day. Yes. And when, and I think couples that include a five who is an introvert should consider taking different cars to events. Mm-hmm. Like if they're going to a party, mm-hmm. they can take two cars. And then when the five wants to go home, they can go home. Yes, that is so healthy and helpful. And easy. easy. Yeah, exactly. It just gives that five that safe space and it helps the partner to not feel rushed out if they're social. So that's beautiful. And sometimes the fives have explained to me and their spouses, their two spouses, by the way, I give others cerebrally, but if there is anyone who gets my emotions or processes theirs with me in the case of the two five, then it's you and it's only you. So that helps them to feel very treasured. Yeah. Oh, that's thank yep. you. It's so helpful. I've heard you talk about your best friend who's a five. So I've learned a lot from that dynamic when I'm working with couples. <laughs> She's a... Uh... 
She's something. For 52 years, we've been friends. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, uh, sixes. Six. Mm-hmm. It makes a big difference if they're phobic or counterphobic. Mm. And it makes a big difference who the authority figures are in the life of the couple individually and together. So all sixes are focused on authority. Phobic sixes do all the things that authority figures say, and they think that that's where security lies. Counterphobic sixes are focused on authority, but they don't trust authority figures. Mm -hmm. So they watch them for the same, uh, with the same intensity, but they're looking for ways that the authority figure doesn't do what they said they were going to do. So the first thing with sixes is you got to do what you say you're going to do. The second thing with sixes in a relationship is you have to keep in mind that there may be authority figures. uh, It could be a pastor. It could be a political figure. It could be a grandparent. It could be an overbearing friend. Phobic sixes tend to give those figures too much credit mm-hmm. and too much loyalty. Mm. And counterphobic sixes often don't give them enough. That's a tricky thing. The yeah. second thing is sixes don't do a lot of responding and asking questions and trying to understand things Mm -hmm. in real time think about things and then come back Hmm. so you kind of don't get to finish something with a six without taking a break because they're not sure they haven't thought all of it through and they're not sure what they want to say and so I think boundaries are good for every couple when they're having a problem Mm -hmm. Han says in talking about anger he's a Buddhist monk whose work I like a lot and he says Mm -hmm. If you're really angry with your spouse or your partner on Tuesday, then you should agree that you're going to meet for 30 minutes before you go out for a nice dinner on Friday Mm. to work it out. Mm -hmm. And generally that meeting never occurs because it wasn't worth it. You know, it, 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 Mm -hmm. it went away. It, Mm -hmm. the problem went away. Mm. Um, But this is a, Different thing in that you got to have a boundary around how long you're going to talk about it now, waiting for the six to get on board. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have a boundary about when you're going to revisit it. I see. And the boundaries, is this also because from my work with sixes, a lot of times they're the pursuer in the cycle. And it's strange because they won't want you to necessarily set the boundary because they'll want to finish things so they can be rid of their anxiety. But it's also you saying this is for you because I know you generally need time to think. Yeah. I think sixes just have to own that they need time to think things through and that they actually want to come back. Mm, And they also process verbally, not as bad as twos. They're not as Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody processes verbally like a, extra extroverted too. I didn't know that. Yeah. But six is also processed verbally and Mm -hmm. they're trying to get to what they think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And until they get there, they're not, they're not able to move forward in whatever you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So they have to take some time to know what they think and maybe yep. remove some of the authority figures from their mental spaces and connect with their hearts. So they have a lot to connect with before they can really even be honest. Yeah. Ones, twos, and sixes, because they struggle to, to balance things out by using thinking, mm-hmm. they tend to hold on to beliefs that have never been re-examined. Mm. And then something happens that triggers, well, I thought life was going to be this way. Mm-hmm. And that was a belief that they had never re-examined. They just brought from childhood or from adolescence. Mm-hmm. So when couples get in trouble around belief systems, then the best practice for a six is, I don't, I don't think we have a name for it, but I think we call it the butcher paper practice, which is not Mm. too great, (laughs) but we encourage sixes to get uh, three pieces of butcher paper. That's the old way. I think the new way is they have flip charts that you can use, but I'm not sure I like that idea because they can't be long enough. I don't think. Mm. And uh, you, you have to know that you're going to hang them on the wall somewhere where you're going to see them for six weeks. So that's a very good exercise for ones, twos, and sixes. It's very challenging for ones, of course, yes. to have something hanging up. But anyway, and then we asked them to write on the first piece of butcher paper, the belief systems that they had as children and that they grew up with. Mm-hmm. And then the middle piece of paper is, and you leave that up two weeks, you work on that. Two mm-hmm. weeks on the middle piece, which is uh, the, the systems, the belief systems that you participate in in some way now as an adult, like uh, the belief systems of the church that you go to. Do you really believe those things is the question. So you, that's that one. And then the final one for the last two weeks, leaving the other two up is what do you believe? Mm. And that's a game changer for Mm. relationships and understanding and how you're going to move forward and all that. It's a big, long process, and nobody has ever told me it wasn't worth it. Oh, and I get it, too, with them starting with what's safest. Yep. Mm. Questioning oh, nothing. Beautiful. With it. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, that's beautiful. I'm going to introduce my husband to that one, too, and work on that personally. So I love yeah. that. That's a thing. All right, sevens. Every relationship has problems. Mm. And the biggest hurdle with sevens is to get them to see that there's a problem. The second biggest hurdle is to get them to admit their part in the problem. Yeah. And those two things are hard. They take time and it's, it's sevens don't like it much. And it's, it's really hard to get that done. Hmm. I'm watching a, a series on TV and the name of it is alone. Hmm. And when Laura described it to me, I'm, I have my phone because I'm looking up a quote that I'm going to actually add to the new book. But mm. when she described it to me, I thought, yeah, I don't want to watch that. But, but, but as it turns out, I want to watch it more than I should. And there are Ooh. seven seasons. But listen to this. This is from a guy who I'm sure is a seven. Mm-hmm. And he's out in the wilderness alone. He's been there like 40 days when he says this. And he says, and, and they all, all the people on this show have cameras with them. So they're Mm. recording all the time. He says, I take life very seriously and I take my family very seriously and I take mother nature very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. 
I kind of view success as stumbling from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Bad things can happen to you, but don't let your mindset dwell on that. I try to stay focused on good things, and then I try to ration the good things that happen to me. Now, that's seven through and through. Mm -hmm. And if you take those words and you put them in your marriage, then you have somebody standing looking you right in the eye saying, I want you to take me seriously. Mm -hmm. Do that unless you take yourself seriously. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of work for a seven. You're right. It's so much work. So that's a thing. And you have to stay in a disagreement or conflict with honesty and integrity until it's worked out. Ooh, that's hard too. But you don't have to work it out all at one time. You can work on it on Tuesday and take a break and give it some thought and maybe a little bit of you know, jot down a few notes. Don't use the word journaling with sevens, but jot mm-hmm. down a few notes. You could use that. And then let's let's go get a hamburger Thursday and talk about it. Mm, now that feels a lot safer. Yeah. And when you go get a hamburger on Thursday to talk about it, it's also a time when the seven has had time to think through what they might be willing to own. Mm-hmm. But when you go get a hamburger, if th- then you have to stay. You have to order it and eat it, pay for it, you know, so that it's kind of a a subtle trap. Yeah, but an important one because it also invites the seven into their comfort of gluttony a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like pairing something hard with something good, which I know the seven really likes. Yeah, it's good. That's a good one. Eight. Mm. Eights are the strongest number on the Enneagram. Mm. Uh, They struggle most of all the numbers to be in touch with any feeling other than their passion, which is lust. And it's not sexual lust, but it's passion. Mm -hmm. And eights are passionate. And that is misread frequently Mm -hmm. as anger. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have eights who tell me I prefer to be called passionate. Yep. And there are a lot of words for anger. You know that. And we only use one and we overuse it. So mm-hmm. there's that. Now it's do get angry, but anger's close enough to the surface that um, when they're angry, they, you know, and they know, and once they named it, it's over for them. Mm-hmm. So if you're still thinking about it, you ought not be because mm-hmm. they're done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that in a relationship prior to marriage, if possible, Uh, And then early or as soon as possible within a relationship with an eight is whatever your number is, you're going to have to be able to stand up to them. Mm. Yes. And they don't respect you if you don't. And uh, when you feel strongly about something, you have to hang in there until you're heard and until perhaps that's the choice that's made. Mm. Yes. And there's a tendency to be for the other person in relationship with an eight to be lazy about that part of the work. Mm. I just don't want to go through that. Well, you have to, because you have to be in your marriage and they don't want to go through feeling stuff with you and they have to. Mm. So, you know, we ask for a lot from eights and then when they are giving that, 
they don't ask for a lot, but what they want from us is honesty a hundred percent of the time. Just tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they want the other person to own their part in things. Just own your part. Mm. And those two things go a long, long way. And then I would also say that eights have a very tender, vulnerable side mm-hmm. that not many people get to see. Mm-hmm. And when they show it to you, they'll be either saying, I need, or I want, or I'm worried. Those are all the times where you stop what you're doing and you sit down and it won't cost you more than five minutes because that's how long they'll stay in that space. Mm-hmm. So honor the fact that it doesn't last long mm-hmm. and then don't bring it up again unless they do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? It's like if a five shares a feeling with you, don't share your feeling with them. Right. Right. That then took a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So with an eight, then that tender time, which is lovely for the partner, isn't going to last very long. Mm. So you have to go with that. And we want people to be eights and then we don't. And then we do. Right. And that's not fair. So yeah, you got to be careful about that too. Right. You got to love them however they are and don't tolerate abuse, but you can still love them when they're angry. That's their way of connecting. And it's a way of connecting. We have to walk through conflict. So I love this. I'm thinking of my nine clients. I'm thinking of my three and my six clients, especially with the eight that they need to rise up and to be there and to be present. And of course, sevens with the half feelings, there's something for each of us to do with our eights, because like you said, they're so lovely underneath when you can give them that time. But I am also so paying attention to the fact that you said, make sure that when they do share that you don't start adding yours in. I find eights get so upset when that happens in their marriages and then they go to withdrawal for a long while sometimes because they finally got to share and their spouse didn't give them the floor. Yep. And honestly, they're easily bored. Mm. I heard you the first time. They don't need you to say it again. Mm. And again, same is true with threes. Same is true with sevens. Mm. Wow. So if that's who you work with and you're a, a verbal processing too, it's tricky mm. for everybody. Yeah, that right? is hard. But I loved that you said the car thing for the two because I'm thinking of twos and they're going and how that helps because they're going, but they're also alone and able to talk out verbally. So you're giving us some movement for our twos who are with eights and sevens and threes. Yep. Work it out. Okay. And nines. Um, I, I think the only thing I would add about nines is this. Merging is not good for a relationship. Mm. Yeah. It's not good for anybody. And it takes a lot of patience to get a nine to say what they want. So Joe and I are in this two Mm -hmm. nine place Mm -hmm. where twos, the hardest question you can ever ask a two is what do you need or what do you want? Because they don't know. Mm. Nines operate out of, I would rather merge with whatever you want to do because I sure don't want any conflict and Mm. I don't want to go through the whole thing of it's a lot of work to figure out where to go to dinner in Dallas for some reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think I would 
suggest that going along to get along is like postponing. It, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the fact that you went along in order to get along isn't easily understood. So nines have to do the very difficult work of figuring out what they want, saying what they want, and then enjoying getting what they want. Mm. And I just made up my mind that there were certain areas in our life where I just wasn't going to decide. I I just wasn't going to. Mm. Because we always, when we ate out, uh, and when I made that decision, the children were little and we didn't eat out very often. But Joe would eat wherever anybody wanted to eat. Joe and I, we went to Mexico on our honeymoon and we both wanted to go to Colorado. Oh, wow. And we each thought the other one wanted to go to Mexico. Wow. So it it was not good. So you got to, you got to speak up even if you don't want to. So remember this about nines, they're boundaried internally and externally. And they're trying to keep in anything that would cause conflict. And they're trying to keep out anything that would steal their peace. Mm. And that's the reason they have the least energy. And that's the reason it's the hardest to get them to say what they want. Mm. And I think in, in relationships and in partnerships, we just have to sometimes say, I'm, I'm not going to say what I want till I hear what you want. Mm. Oh, wow. That's taking it another level when I say do a pause or do, uh, you know, when your nine speaks up, listen, this is adding a huge level of patience that it might take a while. Yep. And you got to be willing to do it. Like I have said to Joe, uh, maybe three or four times when we talk about where we're going to go on retreat or where we're going to go on vacation, I sometimes I just say, we're going to go wherever you want to go. Because even though we've been together for so long, it's easy for me to get what I want and for him to merge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And how honoring that you've learned to do that because sometimes when we talk to a nine, they say, well, I'm tired of even finally saying, because when I do, you don't do what I requested. So I'm not going to tell you. Yep. Don't ask. Don't ask them to do all that work. If you're not going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I just had that with my nine daughter, teen daughter today before our interview. So I was paying attention, but I need to do that more. And I think it's a constant act when you do have a nine in your tribe, because they're so peaceful that you tend to say, oh, they'll be fine. And they say those words, it's fine. Yep. They say that a lot. Mm-hmm. Or I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. It's the one half a dozen of the other. Yeah. I can't let any of that go. It does <laughs> matter. And I'll tell you this. I, when you do that, underneath whatever we're talking about, they do have a preference. Yes. And they yes. do know what it is. Oh, yes. They're just avoiding conflict. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so honoring to others first, but it they're important too. So like you said, to our nines, you've got to step in, you've got to immerse. Well, and they are honoring, but you know, there's two, two sides to everything. 
And along with that honoring, there's also uh, frequently some passive aggressive behavior. Mm, yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's tricky. It, you know, we all get good, get stuff done. That's right. And we all do stuff that's wrong. And on any given day, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, that was such gold. Thank you so much for giving us something for every type. You're welcome. Just drinking that up. I'm looking at our time and I took you a few minutes extra. Should we just end here? Well, we should end with me saying this. Okay. Um, thank you for having me. Hmm. And I think there is a place where um, love and care for another person kind of trumps everything. So it's, it's always really important for me to say, I think the Enneagram is really great. It's very helpful. I love teaching it. I think it's a wonderful spiritual wisdom. And it's just one thing. And all by itself, it can't solve problems. It, it has to be used with other good practices. And listening is an important practice for every number. And knowing when to talk about something is important for every number. And patience is important for every number. And so I, I, I think if my parting words would be this. You can never change how you see. But you can learn to change what you do with how you see. Mm. and my friend Brian McLaren says, what you focus on determines what you miss. Mm. So that's what I got. Ah, well, what a treasure, just an absolute treasure that we can sift over and let sink in Suzanne. Thank you so much. Thank you, Krista, for having me. Absolutely. And where can our audience find you if they're not familiar with some of the places and things we've talked about today? SuzanneStabile.com. It has everything. Awesome. And they can find you. You're everywhere. You're the godmother of the Enneagram. So who am I kidding? Thanks for having me. What an awesome time that was. I learned so much, actually, even more than I thought I would. I thought I had devoured all of Suzanne's teachings, but there were more. And there were some things that just because she has that 2-9 glow about her with Joe, that I felt that peace that they bring out together so I could just listen and learn. And I hope you felt that with me. I hope you guys know that you can find more about Suzanne at SuzanneStabile.com. And you can also go to the show notes. Make sure if you don't already have the road back to you and the path between us that you grab those as well and you can find them through her website or on Amazon. I so look forward to her next book with you and working together to continue to try to make our relationships the very best we can. So I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great week. Bye-bye.